Hello friends and welcome to Don't Take My Word For It. My name is Vasti and I am your host. This is a weekly podcast where we try to encourage, motivate each other and challenge ourselves to be better Christians. We can't do that by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit and his help and his word to guide us to do that. More importantly, my goal with this podcast is that it inspires you in a way to do your own personal Bible study at some point. It doesn't have to be every single day of the week. It doesn't have to be something long or complicated. But you purposefully taking out time to delve deeper into a few verses and figure something out that you didn't know before. And you will get so much more out of God's word if you do it that way. Instead of just listening to somebody else tell you something. It means it's, it's so much more valuable when you do it yourself. Trust me. Today... We are talking about the story of Zacchaeus and why he was so hated. And even though he was a trash human being, Jesus still found him valuable enough to meet with him and to stay at his house. Also, uh, be mindful that this episode, unlike another one, I have made in both English and Spanish versions Uh, So I didn't want to confuse you out there, but this one is also available in Spanish. So if you see a title that seems different, but weird, that's why it is. It's in Spanish. So I tried to make the logo with the little flag so that you can tell that it's a different language. Um, Aside from that, let's dive right in. studying any verses I always like having a visual for items or places that are described in the text so if it talks about a temple a building a city um, if it talks about an animal or anything like that I like looking at artistic renderings that are based on historical uh, knowledge of the time period to help me visualize what that would have looked like And I had to do the same thing for a sycamore tree, because if you just say that tree, I will not be able to picture it. Uh, And so before I looked at a picture of one, I found some information that I thought would be interesting to share. Did you know that sycamore trees can be up to 30 or 40 feet in height? But despite the fact that they are so tall, they are also pretty thick and they have very low branches. Uh... The the low and spreading branches were able to support weight because they, they themselves were also thick. So you could have weighed quite a bit and been short and would have been able to climb it, which is probably why Zacchaeus picked that tree to go up. Another thing I read in a st- my study Bible and a commentary and you will have to double check that. I, I I have no way of knowing if this is true or not. But apparently in that time period, it was a little undignified for you to try to climb up a tree just to see somebody. And especially if you were short. Um, and I have no idea if this is true or not. But it would make sense because they're... They had a thing with the tunics and the raising of the tunics. And I think there was, I've heard also um, that running, like the story of the 
the prodigal son, when the father runs to him, it was considered a little in, in undignified for the father to run, but he ran anyways. And I think, I don't know about Jewish tradition or anything like that with the clothing, but I will say that what it sounds like to me is that anything that made you seem desperate probably seemed a little undignified. And I'm I'm assuming that that's probably the case here. Zacchaeus was so desperate to see Jesus, but there were so many people around him and he was just short, so he had no no choice. He he ran to a tree because he wanted to see him so bad. And for for doing that, he probably had to lift up his tunic and I don't know what he looked like trying to get up there, but he did it because he really, really, really wanted to see him. Although this reading is a little bit long, I'm going to go through with it. This is found in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, or he couldn't because there was a lot. There were a lot of people bunched together, and because he was little of stature, so too many people he couldn't see above them, so he wasn't going to be able to see Jesus. Verse four, he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him, and unto him Zacchaeus, and said unto him Zacchaeus. Make haste, and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, That he has gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. I'm sure this has happened to you at some point, where you have heard a term, a name, a title of something, uh, the, the description of a certain thing that happened in history, and you know that it was bad, but you don't really, because you don't understand the nuances and the details of what happened, it doesn't, it doesn't have the heaviness of what it should. And then later on, when you find out the details, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense why these people didn't like those people because of this, that, or the other. So I've always understood why people did not like tax collectors, but I didn't really know very well how the system worked and all that. So I endeavored to search a little bit into that. Uh, The things I'm going to tell you, I've read in about four or five different articles and put all of that information together. Some places kind of contradicted each other. So I'm going to do my best to just tell you A summary of what I read. The main author uh, I want to give credit to is Craig R. Coaster, which wrote Judea during Roman rule. It's an article in Enter the Bible. And another writer is Churer. I'm probably saying his name wrong. S-C-H-U with the two dots on top. R-E-R. 
and he wrote History of Jewish Peoples in the Time of Jesus Christ. Uh, there were more, but I will put those in the description uh, so that you can access those and look at them yourself and if you want to read more. Um, but here's a few things I needed to highlight for us to get to the... to be in a good standpoint and understand the story and why it was so shocking that Jesus would meet with this man, Zacchaeus. First thing, Israel was divided in territories and it was governed by descendants of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is not the Herod we read in the Bible when Jesus was there. That was his son, Herod Antipas. Herod the Great came before and his son, Herod Antipas, uh, was in the area where Jesus was, like the region of Galilee. And then another one of his sons ruled in the south, and I don't know if he had other kids, but I thought that was interesting. Um, now, Judea was an imperial territory that was governed by a Roman procurator. Um, and that meant that taxes were a little bit higher there, but ta- taxes were high everywhere. Um, it was similar to modern tax. So they used this money to pay for stuff, like if they were building a a bridge or a road or an aqueduct or I don't know what else they did. Uh, They used that for economic stimulus and things of that sort. One of my sources said that it wasn't like an income tax, but the four things that were taxed were the goods that you owned. So if you had uh, a bunch of cattle or sheep, uh, or something like that, you were taxed on the amount of how many of those you had. You were also taxed on the land you owned. They were also taxed on customs, so imports, outports, if you sold something and you weren't from there, uh, that sort of thing. And then the profits that you made off of your chosen career. So I don't see how that's not an income tax if they were getting money from the profit that they made out of the thing they were doing. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm just telling you what I read. <laughs> um, so those are the four things. Goods owned, land owned, customs, and the profits of all those things. Uh, now the government was decentralized, which doesn't seem like an important thing to tell you, but I think it is, because these people were smart. What they did is they had local magistrates operating in the different territories. Think about this. The Jews still handled their own internal affairs. What I mean by that is they weren't prohibited to do their own worship. Their worship was still allowed. They had their temple. The priests did the worship and were in charge of that. Pilgrims still came freely to do that part. The Sanhedrin was in charge of upholding Jewish law. So essentially, they took care of most of their problems all of themselves. Think about that. Rome didn't have to invest a whole lot in them to do that. (laughs) These people were ruling themselves, yet they still had to pay another country. It was crazy to me. Another nation, really, not country. Um... So they barely had to input into them. And then they had another thing that was really interesting to me, and I didn't know this, which was that the wealthy fought and paid to become tax collectors. You might be getting confused, so here we're going to talk about publicans. 
and tax collectors. I have always gotten confused with the term publican. Uh, I thought they always meant tax collector, like they were interchangeable. Apparently, that is not the case. And I don't know what translation, who was called who, if it was always correct or not. But what I learned is publican came from the word publicani. Publicani were wealthy men who bid for their position to tax collect. They usually added fees on top of that so they could make some extra money, and they were usually Romans. But some of these publicani were Jews, like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man who paid to be a tax collector. That adds weight to it, doesn't it? Now, these people usually didn't do most of the dirty work. What they did is they hired tax collectors who were locals. And they did the collecting. Uh, I'm sure that some were specific to goods, some to land. I, I don't know how they did it, but publicans were publicani were usually not the ones doing some of most of the hard work. Maybe they dealt with some of the more difficult things, but for the like importing and stuff like that, they had tax collectors that did that job. Uh, some of the uh, writers were saying that Matthew should have been called a tax collector more than he was called a publican because he was, although he was wealthy, he wasn't like the chief of them like Zacchaeus was. I don't know what to tell you about that. I'm just telling you what I read. Um, but it's interesting to think that. So... If they didn't like Matthew because he tax collected, imagine if they didn't like Zacchaeus, who was, who was the chief of them, which means he paid money to become a chief tax collector employer. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, okay, we need to understand three other groups before I talk about why they were hated and some other things. There's the Pharisees. The Sadducees and the Essenes, or I don't even know if I'm saying their name right. S-E-S-S-E-N-E. So Pharisees were the ones that had the really high standards. They were excessive with the purity thing. Um, they were devoted to interpretation of the law. And they believed in the resurrection of the dead at some point in time. Sadducees opposed Pharisees. Um, the differences were that the only law that the Sadducees took in as authority uh, was Mosaic law. They did not take in any of the other writings, and they did not believe in resurrection at all. Uh, now, the Essenes were a separate community where, in fact, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found were part of an Essene community. Uh, they also had very high purity standards, and they were very meticulous about that. Um, something that distinguished them, though, is that they were believers that the temple leadership was corrupt. Hmm. And they were also zealots, so they wanted to regain the independence of Israel. And so that's what made them particularly different. All three of these groups didn't like each other but all three of these groups hated tax collectors 
So that's how I just I wanted to describe that to you because I wanted you to see the, how excommunicated from everybody else tax collectors were. Um, why were they hated? Aside from the obvious, they represented foreign dominion. They often overcharged and kept the surplus. And this is a quote from one of the writers. They were renegades who sold their service to foreign oppressors to make money at the expense of their countrymen. End of quote. They harassed people. And so you, you have to imagine that this happened, where one person would be harassing you, get your taxes, overcharge you, and then some other guy would come another day and do the same thing for the same month. And you're like, but I already paid. That probably happened. So what does that mean? They were not only despised, but they were considered unclean. Why were they considered unclean? Because they, became in, they came in contact with Romans, plus they stole. Another thing is that their testimonies were rejected in court, according to what I read. So their word was considered so worthless that they couldn't even <laughs> testify in court. Um, under the Mosaic law, they were, seemed, uh, they were seen as to not be able to be redeemed. Uh, they could not exchange money at the temple. Their families were disgraced. And so in turn, to minimize that, they probably didn't want anything to do with them. And they were excommunicated from the synagogues. So these people um, either loved money that much or had zero interest in... Like, they, they cared so much about their position and, and making some money or they just had no principles, that they didn't care about all of these other things. And people, nobody really wanted them there. And uh, that's, I think that's probably why they had to have Roman guard with them, because if not, they would just be murdered, probably. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting to know all of that backdrop before we go into the story of Zacchaeus. Now that we know the implication of what being a chief of publicans means and what it meant for Zacchaeus to get up this tree indignantly in those times so that he could just see Jesus, um, we get a little bit more of the impact, right? And so let's remember that being a chief publican meant that he was a supervisor of other tax collectors and which means that he bribed not bribed but he um he paid to become chief collector and that way he could add feeds on top of it so he very likely extorted a lot of people out of extra money to pocket himself um and he had probably already been wealthy before this instance and he also was a jew so he was probably extra hated in the community, not to say the least. But some things I want to point out about the story from the reading is that on verse number uh, five, where he has already 
he was seeking Jesus, but he couldn't because of the multitude of people squishing shoulder to shoulder. He can't see anything. He's short. He gets on the tree. And Jesus looked up and saw him. And I don't think that this is written in this fashion or I don't think it happened this way for no good reason. I mean, I this is very... I think, intentional that Jesus saw him. And every time I read that in a passage, it it uh, it does something in my heart because he did the same thing with the lepers. He saw them, and it doesn't mean like he just literally saw them with his eyes. It meant he took time to invest into them and saw them worthy of him investing his, his time. And I always bring that back to my case. Um, He saw me when he died on that cross for me. And that is significant because I didn't deserve that. I don't deserve that. And uh, he thought me valuable enough for him to do that for me. And so it's always a big impact when I see that word in scripture. Not only did Jesus see him... But he immediately said, called him by his name, which I don't know if that was shocking or not, because I think everybody knew who he was probably. Uh, But he called him by name and said, hey, hurry up. Basically, uh, today I must, it wasn't just I'm going to your house. It was I must abide with thee, which meant probably that he ate and stayed over a night. And... I can assure you that he got some looks immediately when he said that because everybody was like, excuse me? You're going to let that trash? You're going to go into his house? Really? Out of all of the good people here, you're choosing that piece of garbage and you're going to spend time with him? He stole money from me, you know? I can't feed my cows because that guy has taken extra money from me. That's why he's got those expensive turbans, or I don't know. I, just imagine. I mean, I'm sure people were pretty livid and a little confused when Jesus wanted to go to his house. Um, but it does say that Zacchaeus made haste, and he actually took him and received Jesus joyfully. Like he probably prepped everything, decked all the things out, and. And ate with him and talked. I think that's that's what they did. Jesus talked with him, shared with him. Uh, I don't know if he shared the news of the kingdom or he convicted him of what he was doing wrong or just being in the presence of Jesus did something to Zacchaeus. And it had already begun to do something because if not, he wouldn't have gone up that tree just to see him. Um the people, people, like it says in verse 7, um, said they were all murmuring and said, he has gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And remember, these a lot of uh, people considered these people unpardonable. Like, they had done the ugliest of ugly. Uh, and what comes next is pretty shocking to me. Because... A man who 
who had sold out and mistreated his own people had been transformed in the presence of Jesus. And his repentance was such that he gave half of his goods away and repaid his extortions four times over. And you might say, well, he was just talking. Talk is cheap. Maybe he just said that to Jesus. But let's not be deceived here because after he told Jesus all these things, Jesus said, this day salvation has come to your house. For you are also a son of Abraham, and I came to seek what was lost. So you were lost, but now you're saved. Well, why was he saved? Because Jesus understood the repentance in his heart. And you say, well, how? what, what evidence is there? And I would like to share with you a few points I, I wrote down about actions that he took that showed that his heart was going in the right direction. First, he expended energy that he could see Jesus regardless of his limitations and what people thought of him. That is a first big step. Secondly, he had meditated in his heart his wrongdoings as he was sitting there with Jesus, and maybe even before then. Maybe he had heard Jesus speak once or twice before. And he was just kind of curious to get a closer look at it, but the stuff was already maybe happening inside of him. And he was feeling the weight of the things he had done. I don't know that for sure. It's not written here. We don't have any parallel accounts because the other Gospels don't talk about this story as far as I know. Um, But he set out to fix them. And he made a plan while he was there. Uh, And that was after spending time with Jesus. Number three, he determined to steward his money for the needs of others in the kingdom of heaven. Because he gave... He gave uh, his goods to the poor. Uh, In number five, Jesus sought this man saying, it is necessary for me to stay with you, which is something that uh, we already talked about. But those first three are things I think that show that he he was thinking about these things. He meditated on them. He did, he committed actions to show that he was repentant. Um, And it doesn't say after that what happened, but if Jesus said that salvation came to this house, we can assume that he actually rectified all of his mistakes and and did what he said he would do. Uh, And this is such a wonderful story because even the worst of the worst of the worst people (laughs) is deemed valuable enough by Jesus to take out of his time to go dine with him to talk with him perhaps reason with him share the news of the kingdom I don't know what they talked about but you, you have to imagine that Jesus kind of confronted him about stuff and he was just convicted and decided to make changes immediately. And I I think that that is, we take that for granted, right? That we're given that chance. That God is so good that that he allows us a chance 
to rectify our life so that we can in turn please him and not be 100% ashamed when we're in his presence. Uh, And I think we should not take that lightly. Uh, We have done much to hurt God. And even if your life hasn't been one of complete disarray and disregard for human life or you haven't stolen or you haven't killed anyone or you haven't been unkind or whatever you think you might be good or not good uh you have still lied once or twice you have still uh sought your own benefit more than others before you had probably done quite a few things maybe even if you don't realize it and it's to God that's it's the same thing like it doesn't matter how deep he is so perfect and so holy that whatever it is that we do in our humanity is just not up to par with him and he can't deal with it not because he hates us but he just can't because he is one thing and we are another and so the fact that he created a mechanism so that we can be in the same in communication with him at least is it's a huge deal and i don't think we should we should let go of that so in summary it doesn't matter uh what somebody has done He's always going to seek you out in one way or another. And when he does, you have the choice to repent or not, obviously. And repentance looks a certain way. So uh, there's actions involved to rectify the things that you have done. And you put mechanisms in place to avoid doing those things again. And I don't know, I think this story is, is really beautiful because where where men gave no pardon, where men excommunicated, where men thought this person has no pardon, Jesus said, I give you a chance. I'll eat with you. I'll talk to you. I can redeem you. And that is beautiful to me. Sadly, our time for today is up. We've talked about uh, the importance of the pers- having the perspective of what publicans really were and what Zacchaeus represented in his culture, how his people viewed him, and then how Jesus viewed him and how he gave him importance. And then we talked about the importance of the actions Zacchaeus took to demonstrate that there was a change in heart and that he was determined to be a new person because he was transformed by what Jesus has done in his life. We don't really know what that conversation was like, but we know that there was a change, and Jesus acknowledged it. And uh, I hope that this episode was a big blessing to you, and as usual, I hope that this motivates you to do your own study. Um, The only reason I learned half of the things that I learned was because I sat down and I took time to look at some of these little things that were bothering me that I didn't really know. And uh, if you do that for yourself, it will be so valuable to you. Uh, I'm thankful again that you were here with me. And I hope to see you again for the next episode of Don't Take My Word For It.